This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, we're joined now by Kevin Williamson. He is National Review's roving correspondent and director of the National Review Institute's William F. Buckley Jr. Fellowship Program in Political Journalism. He's got a great piece up on National Review we're going to talk about. Kevin, great to have you. Hey, Buck, what's up? Good, good. Uh, States, plates, and pates. Do tell. What has the government been up to in the California, Mexico area when it comes to tracking people going to gun shows? What, what? Yeah, you know, this is one of those things when I heard the story, I thought, no, this is some dumb conspiracy theory thing. This isn't possibly true, but then it turns out to be true. So you've got the feds setting up uh, in Del Mar, California, and other places in Southern California, uh, arrays of license plate readers. Uh, these automated, you know, cameras that read and record license plates, license plate trackers, uh, in association with the local police there, and just building a big database of all the license plates that come and go from gun shows there in Southern California. And what they've been doing is uh, cross-referencing these uh, records with the license plate records of cars that cross the border. Uh, there at San Diego, which is just, you know, immediately adjacent to uh, Del Mar. So you're talking about them treating border crossing as being something suspicious in a place that's about 40 minutes from the border, I guess, that it's said the most well, I guess you know, San Diego actually runs right against the border. So, you know, treat, treating crossing the border as being somehow a possible flag for being a gun smuggler when you're actually in a border city it's just nuts. There was no particular reason to think any of these gun shows, the people who went there were involved with gun trafficking. Uh, there wasn't any particular time frame attached to it. It wasn't like they were at the gun store or at the gun show at uh, noon and then crossing the border at one thirty or something like that. It was just all the people who went to the gun show versus all the people who crossed the border there in Southern California at some point or another. Uh, it's just nuts. There's nothing like probable cause. It's just a giant uh, fishing expedition targeting people who go to gun shows. Now, Second Amendment is a constitutionally protected right. Nothing wrong about going to nothing wrong at all about going to a gun show. If this were, say, used to look up people who were, I don't know, going to a certain kind of place for religious worship, perhaps, and crossing the border, uh, there would be freakouts in the media. But because it's involving well, there, guns, there, there aren't to... actually though. Because the bad thing is they do that. Um, you know, they don't do it with license plate readers. They're doing it with uh, the information that's fed into uh, facial recognition software. So we've got this giant database now of faces, mostly because you have to get your picture taken when you get a driver's license, 
or for getting a passport or other various things. So you've got this big database, about half of Americans' faces are in it at this point, that is searchable by law enforcement, and there are no rules about how it gets used. So yeah, if you want to set up a camera at the you know, Trump for President rally or the Hillary rally or the Gary Johnson rally, if such a thing exists, the Evan McMullen rally, and run it against the uh, facial recognition database that law enforcement has access to, you can do that. You could do with the people coming and going from the mosque or the local church or the synagogue or anything else you wanted to. And there are uh, very, very few rules for how this stuff is used. And most of the rules, such as they exist, are written by local jurisdictions or by particular law enforcement agencies who tend to have pretty loosey-goosey interpretation of their powers with this stuff. And, of course, it naturally gets abused in the most comical and uh, hilarious ways. I remember that when I was uh, in the in the federal intelligence community, there were they were very clear on certain things that, that if you abuse certain ways of getting information, they were like jail. Just so you know, jail, not yeah. like, oh, we're going to be upset <laughs> with you. Jail. And then working at the local law enforcement side of the NYPD for a while, it was more, well, we're going to like put in this request this way and like see if it flies or like maybe we'll just do this. And this is the justification. It was. And, you know, wh- the, the, at the local level, you're actually much more likely to have somebody coming and bothering you than the kind of federal level stuff I was talking yeah. about. And this is just sort of the, the, the practice you point out in your article. This results in a lot of uh, a lot of hijinks going on, a lot of, you know, oh, yeah. well. Where you know what's my ex girlfriend been up to these days? Yeah, people do this. They use it to stalk uh, ex girlfriends and wives, and also to check out people that are, that may become their next ex girlfriend or ex wife. You know, uh, to to see if you're the person you're dating or going to go out with has uh, you know criminal history or any other sort of you know any, any of those sorts of things going on. Uh, there was one cop, I guess, who actually went to jail on a stalking charge after using this stuff to uh, threaten and harass a woman he had been seeing and her mother. Um, yeah, you know, most police departments uh, don't have a lot of rules about how this stuff gets used. And in terms of the ones that do have rules about you can't use this just to scan who's going to a political rally or a church or something that's you know First Amendment protected, there's apparently only one law enforcement agency in the country that has an actual written policy saying you can't do that, and it's the Michigan State Police. Uh, so, so we should get a high-five them, but we should ask questions about why isn't everybody else doing that? Yeah, you think about it, Michigan's maybe the one place you'd want to do it, but I know that's mean. Um, well, the, so, the, the yeah, federal government it, always fights. I mean, this, uh, there's this Washington Post piece out today. Any effort to try and get a better sense of for the public of how yeah. these different databases, facial recognition, license plate readers, all this stuff is being used, and also uh, to get a sense of the full scope and scale of just general uh, Internet surveillance. The government yeah. fights the this Washington- at every turn. The Washington Post story, which I don't know if everyone's looked at, is, is bothersome because it's talking about this radical increase in electronic surveillance of various kinds and the fact that the way the government dockets these cases, it's actually taking you know the, 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 relative, the relevant identifying information out of the docket filings. So it's hard to see who is doing what and what's, uh, you know, what's being requested and all that. And worrisome as that is, um, this is still stuff that's going through the usual process of getting warrants and court orders and all that kind of stuff. So that stuff can be abused. But the license plate reader stuff, there's no probable cause. There's no warrant. It's not even targeting a particular person. It's just saying, well, here's an activity that we think might at some point overlap with some sort of criminal activity. We've got two things that might overlap with some criminal activity. 
Well, you know, driving a car on the freeway might interact with some criminal activity. Getting out of bed in the morning might interact with some criminal activity. Not getting out of the bed in the morning might interact with some criminal activity, depending on what state you live in. You know, there's um, there's all sorts of stuff that might theoretically overlap with some criminal activity that's not going to be normally subject to surveillance. But this stuff is just, you know, let's just turn on the hose and see what we can find. Uh, in terms of the abusive stuff uh, that's referred to in the Washington Post story and the government really trying to cover its tracks about who it's getting warrants on and stuff, well, at least you're getting warrants in these cases. But in the other stuff, you know, it's just, it's a shotgun approach. It's just, let's, you know, let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And that's just crazy. And it's, uh, it's, it's worrisome. I remember at the NYPD, you could get, I, I think you could get uh, call records if it was if, if it was related to an investigation, you could pull call records. Uh, related yeah. to an investigation is, is about as broad a term. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, pretty much anybody, you know, this this is like when people start to say reasonable, you know, I, I had reasonable suspicion. I thought I smelled marijuana in the car, so I decided to pat yeah. everybody down and I found a gun. It's like, well, I guess you can always think you smelled marijuana in the car. So uh, this this leaves the door wide open for this kind of stuff. And I think it creates yeah, a lot of, a lot of distrust. Standard. You know, what's worrisome here to me, and this is something that maybe uh, – if I could go back to some of the things I wrote, say, 15 years ago and revisit them, I might have been wrong about. Uh, there were a lot of problems with the Patriot Act and some of the stuff that was adopted in the immediate post-9-11 era. But what's misunderstood about that is that most of those things that went into the Patriot Act were already investigative tools that existed in other contexts. They were mainly used in organized crime cases, drug trafficking cases, and things like that. And they were repurposed and updated and to some extent expanded uh, for terrorism cases. What we're seeing now is this stuff that we've done uh, that we've thought of for terrorism investigations being turned back down to that other level of crime. So if you go through this Washington Post story, these aren't terrorism cases. You know, they're uh, drug cases, which, of course, are all familiar enough. They're, you know, pornography cases, child, child porn cases, and things like that. And as horrible as these crimes are, you certainly want them investigated. Uh, but what we're doing here is we're talking about a bunch of extraordinary investigative national security tools that have been created specifically for international terrorism and for organizations related to international terrorism being turned back and used on just sort of ordinary crime. And if you're talking about, you know, using the stuff that you're cooking up for al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and whatnot to go after weed smugglers in South Texas, you know, I don't I don't think that's why we created those, and I'm not sure that um, that you want to take those tools and expand them just across the entire universe of ordinary crime. Of course, I'm someone who thinks that, you know, drugs ought to be legalized anyway, and that would take care of most of the, the smuggling issues, uh, although probably not all of them. But, a bunch of uh, a know, bunch of weed like ballot it, it, it's measures a ballot uh, for a, a house coming up. By the way, I'm right. I mean, saying uh, there's a bunch of states, four of them. We just mentioned this before you came on that are that could legalize recreational marijuana. California, Maine, I forget what the other. Uh, I, I named them a second ago, but yeah, yeah, you know which um, I, I'm all for that, and uh, I like I like the direction that the medical marijuana stuff takes things. But one of the things that's always driven me crazy about that is it's such a complete and total fraud. You know, I lived in Nevada for a long time where they've got medical marijuana, and there are these billboards as you go down the highway that says, you know, call Dr. Weed. Uh, Dr. Weed is actually the name of the business. And, you know, basically it says, we'll find something. For right, for that shoulder pain you've got. Marijuana. Yeah. Yeah, anxiety, you know, frustration, just sort of, you know, general not feeling as good as you couldness. We'll, we'll get you a prescription for that. So I'm much happier to see people actually legalizing recreational marijuana, Although I personally think recreational marijuana is actually pretty bad. I think marijuana is um, 
underrated in terms of the damage it actually does to people. But, you know, let's be honest about it. It's not it's not largely being used for medicinal purposes. It's nothing like that. It's people smoke weed because they want to get high. Okay, we can deal with that. And I think it should be legal for that purpose. Doesn't mean you think it's a good thing. But um, I dislike the dishonesty of the, the medical marijuana rubric. I do say, you know, I think one issue that has been lost entirely in, on the campaign on both sides uh, with, with Clinton and, and Trump is overcriminalization, which you know, Rand Paul, somebody who's obviously very big on yeah, that, ties into to the legalization issue a little bit on weed, but it ties into a lot of things. Trump talks about bad regulations, doesn't talk about bad laws, and Hillary never talks about this stuff. And I feel like that's a huge issue that a lot of Americans could actually or, and should actually get behind. Yeah, you know, and the extent to which we go through for enforcement on things, I think, is, is sometimes problematic, too. You know, I, I, I live in Texas, where we go to extraordinary lengths to enforce uh, child support. You know, you can't, uh, you get your driver's license revoked if you're behind on child support payments, those sorts of things. And again, I understand that you want to enforce that stuff, and there are probably other ways you could or should go about about doing it. But you're talking about creating you know, a new class of offenders based on trying to enforce something else, which is going to be people driving illegally without licenses. Uh, then they're going to be driving without insurance because of the things that will flow from that. And you're creating a whole new set of problems by trying to solve a relatively mild problem, uh, which probably could just be solved through, you know, wage garnishment and things like that. So we do a lot of things that uh, where we want to throw the criminal justice code at social problems that don't really fit into the criminal justice code that well. <clears throat> and I think that's uh, something that I wish the kind of Gary Johnson message would catch on more with, with more mainstream Republicans than it has. And of course, I think Republicans over the years have done themselves a real disservice by neglecting the, the libertarian end of their philosophy. You know, in the 70s and 80s, when you had sort of more of a Jack Kemp kind of Republicanism, and even a Ronald Reagan kind of Republicanism, uh, I think it was intellectually and ideologically and philosophically healthier than where we are now, which is this kind of weird poisonous mix of populism, nationalism, and then uh, kind of national security hysteria. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we got to end on that one. Not the most hopeful, but we'll have Kevin back before the election to talk about some other back things. Back to too. more national security hysteria with Buck Sexton. <laughs> That's right. Kevin Williamson is National Review's roving correspondent and director of the National Review Institute's William F. Buckley Jr. Fellowship Program in Political Journalism. Check out his latest on nationalreview.com. He's got a great piece up today. Kevin, thank you for your time, sir. Thanks, Bob. Always appreciate it. The Buck Sexton Show. The experts at web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.